Hey, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to the book of James. Uh, James is in the New Testament, which is the second half of your Bible. And if you go about two-thirds of the way uh, through the New Testament, almost to the back, you'll arrive at the book of James. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles around the room, it's page 847. And I'd just like to stress that this is a great series uh, to bring your Bible, uh, to actually have a Bible in your lap. If you don't have one, we'd love to give one to you. You can pick one up back at the Info Hub today. Uh, if you like using an electronic version, certainly feel free to turn there, tune there, uh, go there if you're using something like the Bible app. But James chapter 1 uh, is where we're going to begin. James was an important leader uh, in the Christian church in Jerusalem. Many scholars believe that his uh, letter, sometimes called an epistle, same word, letter, was the first New Testament book written around 45 AD, uh, which is about 10 to 12 years, we believe, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And oh yeah, we probably we ought to mention that James is the little brother of Jesus, all right? And so that's kind of an important uh, detail that we'll talk more about in the weeks to come in our series. And uh, we're going to do something a little different as we get started in this series this morning. I want us to read the whole passage that we're going to look at together today, James 1, 1 through 12. And uh, I want to start out by reading it verse by verse with you. And I, I'd like for us to do this together. And so if you are able, I want to invite you to stand with me right now. We're going to put these words up on the screen and uh, let's together read these. Again, if you're able to stand, let's read along uh, out loud. Here, here's what we read. James, if you read with me, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business." Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You can have a seat. You know, this morning, if you haven't figured it out from this introduction already, I want to talk to you about life's trials. Uh, that's a major theme in the book of James, certainly something we're going to talk about today and in the coming weeks. And I think the sad thing about life, and, and I realize that we all know this, and it doesn't matter if you're new to church or if you've been around church for a long time or not, I, I think we all know that every single one of us at some point in our life is going to go through some tough times. All right, we're all going to go through trials. But the good news is this. The good news is that your trials don't have to be wasted. All right, they don't have to be wasted. And what we're going to see today is that in those times when we feel like that life is doing something to us, well, God in those very moments can actually do something in us and that he can use your trials. I want you to know this morning that he can use your trials and my trials and he can bring good from them if we'll let him. Let's pray together as we get started today. Father in heaven, 
We just come before you this morning. Uh, we acknowledge, and it seems like we could do this every week. It's been a really chaotic week uh, in our country. Um, so much hate, uh, so many examples of division, Lord, and just another example of so much hurt yesterday, Father. We are reminded once that we are desperate for you. And uh, man, our eagerness just grows for your return, and we do look forward to that day that Jesus uh, comes back. And, you know, even in thinking about some of those things we've seen in the national news, Lord, well, for some here today, uh, it's much more personal. And maybe just some very difficult trials that maybe something new this week, maybe something that's been going on a long time in, in others' lives, Lord. Uh, we need you, and we need hope, and we need faith, and we need understanding. And so we're inviting you today, Lord, and not just today, but over the course of the next six weeks, Father, to do something really special in us, God. We are we are, we are trusting you, we are putting our hope in you, and we are just asking that even today, God, that you would open up our hearts and minds in some special way that we might see you and understand and just be encouraged, and Father, that our faith in you would increase. Uh, we pray for your help today. Guide and direct me in the words that I sh share, Lord, and uh, we thank you. We thank you for your presence, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, hey, we are going to spend the next six weeks in the New Testament book of James. And as verse 1 states, if you uh, recall or if you're looking at it right now, this letter that James wrote was written to Christians who were scattered, all right? And that word scatter just simply means that uh, they had been persecuted. Persecution has a way of doing that. And that's certainly the case here in the ancient world. Uh, these Christians had scattered from Jerusalem, fearing for their lives, really attempting to survive. And James knew they were living under great stress. So he wrote this letter inspired by God to encourage these Christians to not give up or to give in, but instead he's calling them to live in a way that many would have considered countercultural uh, at the time. And that's why we've called this series Against the Grain. Like the overarching theme of this letter is that followers of Jesus are called to live in a way to not conform, if you would, to this current culture, but to live in a way that would be considered maybe by many countercultural. Like again, even when it's hard, even when there's a struggle, we keep seeking and trusting God. And even though these words were written nearly 2,000 years ago, this letter is still as relevant today as it was back then. And so we're going to look forward to what God wants to do through it in us over these next six weeks. But again, James chapter 1, verse 1, let's pick it up there. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, Greetings. Now, if you stop there for a second, it was the custom for writers like these in ancient days to begin their letters by introducing themselves. And James does this, notice, by describing himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I already mentioned to you that James was the little brother of Jesus. I just got to say that if I'm James, I'm milking that connection, right? I'd want everybody to know that Jesus, yeah, that I, he, I wore his hand-me-down and we sat at the table together, all right? I want everybody to know that I'm the brother of Jesus, but I just want you to notice that James doesn't say that, all right? But instead he says that he is a servant of God, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, James had come to realize that his older brother was more than just family. Indeed, he is the son of God, all right? The promised one. And so I just want us to keep that humility and perspective in mind, even as we study today, but in the weeks to come too, because that's what we are. What James says, we are servants of God. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. Now, following a brief greeting, James gets 
right to the main point of this letter, and you can see it in verse 2. He writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. Now, a trial is anything in life that makes life hard, right? Uh, It's pain. It's the pain that we go through. It's the suffering we experience. It's the frustration. Trials would be those things that would cause any one of us to cry out, you know, life's just not fair. All right, and we all go through these things at different times. And notice that the key here is to see that James says whenever. Notice he says whenever you go through these trials, not if, but when you go through them. See, trials, unfortunately, are a sad and regular part of life here on planet Earth. And so if you're taking notes today, let's write that down right from the start. I think that's the first lesson we want to see here. James just calls out. He just says, hey, you need to know you're going to face trials. All right, Jesus said that. He said, in this world, you're going to go through difficult times. You and I will face trials, and yours may be physical. Uh, Sometimes those trials uh, are more spiritual trials. They are certainly emotional trials that we go through. There are relational trials that we struggle with. And think about how these trials develop in our lives, or think about how they impact us in different ways. Like like if you struggle with something long enough, right, and some of you are, are here, you've experienced this. If you struggle with something long enough, you might eventually reach a point in your life where you don't know life any other way. All right, there's just always been a struggle. Or sometimes we think we've experienced the worst of life's challenges, but then the phone rings. Or uh, you, you, you get something in the mail and you realize that it's only getting worse. Or, or if they last long enough, look at it like this. It, it doesn't take long before you feel like giving up. You're just even tired of trying. See, trials will steal life from you. They will paralyze you. They'll, they'll shake our faith. And, and what they do is they cause some to reject their faith altogether. But James' plea to us is this. Whatever our situation. James says, don't let your trials do you in. Don't let your trials get the best of you. In fact, just a few verses later, James is going to challenge us to consider how God might use these trials to do something greater and for the good of our faith. In fact, if you skip all the way ahead uh, to verse 12, notice those words just again. It is James that will say, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, who doesn't give up because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so here's what James had learned, and here's what he's writing. Here's what he's encouraging these Christians, you and me, that are struggling, that are being persecuted, and here's what he knew about God's work in us. Write this down in your notes, that trials are an opportunity to grow. See, we're all going to go through trials, all right? But what James is saying is, hey, these trials can be an opportunity for you to grow. Again, just looking at verse 2, notice he says, I want you to consider it pure joy, uh, he says, when, when you face trials of many kinds, he, he says, consider it pure joy. Now, realize first that he's not telling you and me, hey, when you go through really difficult times, put on a fake smile and walk out there and just convince people of something otherwise. He's not saying that, all right? That's not the point he's trying to make. But instead, what he's saying is, hey, I want to ask you to consider how you think about these things, and where your mind goes when you go through these difficult times. Basically, there's a way of thinking that would be helpful for us to, do it, to adopt. Now, notice, too, that he writes trials of many kinds. And as we read through the book of James together, you're going to learn about a wide range of trials that these persecuted Christians were struggling with, things like poverty and in, injustice and conflict and sickness and, and grief. And so, therefore, what we just want to see is that his advice is for trials of many kinds, all right, and that there's nothing too great All right, there's nothing too small, but what James has to say here, all right, these are words of wisdom for each of us, no matter what it is that you're going through in your life. Verse 3, 
James writes, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, James is talking about growth here. He's talking about what God wants to do in each of our lives. He wants to, to grow us. He's describing for us what it means to be shaped and transformed as followers of Jesus Christ. See, that's God's goal for your life and mine. All right, he, he wants to grow each of us. He wants to deepen our faith. He wants us, as James writes, to mature us. He wants us to be complete, not lacking anything. He wants to transform us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And if you stop to think about it, like, isn't that what so many of us want? Like, when you think about your life and when you think about your faith, especially if you've been around this for a little while, like, like I think we'd all say, you know what, that's what I want. Like, that's what, what I, I want my faith to be deep. I want my faith to be rich. I want people to see Jesus in me. And so, you know, in fact, so much of our teaching and emphasis these past couple of years here at Genesis has been around this idea of modeling our lives after Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. With this in mind, let's just acknowledge then that these are tough words to swallow. Because basically what they imply is that the heart behind, again, what James is saying is that these trials, these challenges of life, what they do is they provide for us an opportunity to grow in our faith, to go deeper. Basically, you can't get from here to there in your faith without or apart from these life's trials. Like, like look at it like this. Think about just some of the different aspects of life where maybe the, the pain or the struggle or the work lead to something greater. Like, look at it like this. Like, you, you may hate practice, but if you've ever learned to play the piano, like, you know that it's the hard work of learning to play the piano that ultimately will result in maybe something better. It's a, again, it's an opportunity to grow. Uh, maybe for some of you, you're a swimmer. And uh, if you're a swimmer and if you've trained, you know the pain of pushing your body and your muscles to limits that they've never gone before. The, your cardiovascular system, pushing it to places it's never seen. And, and the result is that you grow from that. You're, you're stronger. Like, Look at it like this, ask a pregnant woman giving birth to a baby in the delivery room, all right? During delivery, if she wants to have another baby and she'll punch you in the throat likely, right? But the moment the baby is born, the moment the mother is able to hold that baby in her arms, ask the same question and you're likely to get a different answer. See, pain provides an opportunity to grow. The pain that we face, the trials that we go through in life are an opportunity to grow. The same is true for our faith. Faith is like a muscle in the human body. The more it's worked, the more it can grow. And God desires to grow and mature every single one of us. He uses our trials to do that. The thing is this, comfort can't accomplish in us what pain can. There are just things that, that comfort can't accomplish that pain can. Or, or look at it like this, consider how, how a drought you know, going through a drought can actually be a good thing for a young tree because that tree during times of drought is, well, it's forced its roots to grow deeper and deeper to the ground to find water. And so, well, the end result is that a stronger tree is produced from it. God wants to grow our faith. He wants to mature us. He wants us to be complete, not lacking anything. The the encouragement for you and me today, if we can find it, if the Lord can speak this into our lives, is that your trial, no matter what it is that you're going through right now or that you will face, there can be a purpose to it. Like, look, look, look at it like this. Consider this. Like, think of, think of a trial in your life. 
And for some of you, that might not be hard to do today. Like, it's right there. You're already thinking about it. And, and big or small, it doesn't matter. Like, if the goal in your life is just to fix your circumstances, then you and I, what we do is we set ourselves up for frustration because there are so many times when circumstances aren't fixed in the ways that we'd like them to be fixed, and maybe sometimes not at all. Or even if they are fixed, think about how often something else comes along and we're just going through some of the same things again. And then maybe we start struggling with anxiety and fear and what's coming around the corner. But, but look at it like this. If your ultimate goal in life is not just simply to fix your circumstances, but to know God and to grow in your faith in Him, well, then we can, like James says, rejoice in our trials. Because no matter the circumstances, no matter the pain that we go through, God can use it. He can use these trials because He is sovereign over all things. There is nothing too great for our God, and He can use the pain of our trials. It doesn't mean that He causes them, but He can use the pain. He can use the pain of our trials, and, and no matter what we may face, and these trials, what they can do is they can become a joy for us when we realize that faith in God is the ultimate goal. And, and too often, you know, too often we make it all about comfort. We make it our goal to find comfort. We make it our goal in life to find success. That really is the dream, but God's goal for us is to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what He was doing in these Christians 2,000 years ago, it's the same work that he wants to do in you and me today. And so again, you can see why James says, consider it pure joy, because he just knows and realizes and is learning that God can use our trials. He knows that we're in a better place to hear from God when we need him the most. Now, does that mean that we're left to fend for ourselves when we're going through these difficult times? Here's the good news. The next lesson in your notes is this, that you and I, we can ask for help. And we see that in these next verses, beginning in verse 5. James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I can't help but think that these words here are some of the most beautiful and encouraging words of all of Scripture, because they remind us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we can go to God, that we have access to the Father in heaven who is sovereign over all things. And as James says here, he has wisdom and we can ask for it. And, and I pray, I, I pray that maybe in some powerful way today that this can be an encouragement to you. Again, no matter what it is that you're going through in your life right now, all right, that we can go to God, that we can trust him. Because here's why we need to see this. Here, here's the danger. And I think here's the danger of maybe growing up around the church or being around the church for a long time or maybe around Christianity and we start looking at things from, with the wrong lenses here. Like I, I think that there's a danger that we sometimes get mixed up into this thinking that the longer you've been all around this or been around this, the less dependent on God we should become. All right, you know, it's kind of like my kids. Like the longer that they're in our home, the more and more prepared they should be, all right, to go off and be independent one day. Like that's part of raising your kids, all right? The same, it's different, all right? It's different when it comes to our faith in the Lord. Like the longer that we spend time with him, the more and more dependent we should be on him. Like I've been following Jesus for 30 years now. I don't need Jesus less. I need him more than I did 30 years ago. And James is for real here. Like he realizes these trials. I mean, he's eventually going to lose his life for his faith in the Lord. And he realizes much as any of us that we need help. And so he reminds us that when we face trials, we can go to God. Is that what you do? Like, what, what, what's your first response? Uh, when you're in the heat of it, when you're in the thick of it, when things aren't going the way that 
that you would like? Where, where do you go? Like, where do, where do you go when life gets confusing? Uh, where do you go when you get stressed out? James says, turn to God. Like, make it a practice. Make it your effort to turn to God and ask for help. And then he offers some simple yet profound words that remind us what God is like. Like, notice what he teaches us about God. He says, first of all, that he gives generously. And what, what a wonderful truth for us, that he is not selfish, our God. He is not stubborn when it comes to his wisdom. It's kind of like uh, what you experience when you go to a place like Five Guys, right? Isn't that a good experience? If you love French fries and all the extra, all the abundance of French fries in the bottom of the bag. I mean, God's like that, right? Maybe kind of not really, but I think you, you get the point, right? Of his generosity, his, his abundance, he's generous. He, notice what else he does. He gives to all, as James writes, I meaning he doesn't discriminate. Uh, his wisdom isn't reserved for those who have the best church attendance, right? Uh, his wisdom is not like an airline miles program where the platinum members, all right, get the very best. If you belong to God, here's the thing. If you belong to God, all of his wisdom is available to you. And then notice that James says, and he gives it without finding fault. And what a relief that when we go to God, he's not like, you big dummy. Like, you know, like... You again, same issue, once again, you've created this mess with not, now you've got to live with it. He's not like that. He's loving, he's kind, and he's generous. And how do we know that he's generous? Well, this is the same God who gave up his son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior. And is there any greater example of generosity than a God who would do something like that. Look at what Paul records in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Here's what he says about God's generosity, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. For who? All. Every person here today, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter the so-called mess you've made of your life, God gave up his son for you, for every single one of us. And he did it out of love. And Paul writes, and how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so he's, he's gracious. He's generous. And he loves to help us. And you might remember, and we talked about this a few weeks back, you know, the most important thing that we can do as followers of Jesus is abide in him. Uh, to abide means to stay relationally connected to him. All right, we're not out to figure this out on our own, but we're seeking God. We're drawing close to Him. See, again, it's about staying relationally connected to Jesus. And it's in those times of abiding and learning to abide and day after day that He speaks to us, that He guides us, that He directs us, and He can encourage us. Uh, he, he can show us the way through. He can, he can help us see maybe when we've been wrong, when we've made some, uh, some, 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 some poor choices and and what do we do, James says, after we've asked for wisdom? Look at these next verses, starting in verse 6. James says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so James says that we should pray for wisdom, all right? But then we've got to start putting our faith to practice. And let's just recognize that this is when it gets challenging, Right? Well, when we turn to his promises, all right, we're going we're gonna to pray for wisdom, all right, and then we've got to start putting these things to practice. The next lesson in your notes is we have to learn to trust in God. 
right? That's a part of this journey, all right? It's really a part of this exercise. It's learning to trust in God, to trust in His promises, all right? And again, that's not always easy. And notice that James encourages us to ask with no doubting. Now, does that mean that if we doubt, we're out of luck, right? That if you've ever struggled in your faith or if you're struggling right now, like, I'll just be candid. I mean, there are things that I've prayed for that the Lord hasn't answered yet. They've caused me to struggle. They've caused me to have some doubt. So, you know, because I struggle, does that mean I'm out of luck? Like, what then? What are we supposed to do when we have doubts and struggles? I just say this. I think it's important to realize that trusting God takes practice. And abiding in Jesus, it just takes practice. And it takes time reading and praying through His Word. Um, I, think, I, I think we also have to acknowledge it's why we need each other. Like it's why this church family is such an important thing and can be such an important thing in your life and for every one of us. Like this isn't just a place to come on Sundays a couple of times a month. Like this is a family to be a part of. Like this is a family to enter into. Like we can be here for one another. We can support each other and pray for one another and encourage each other through these difficult things. James goes on to say, verse 9, he says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom uh, falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even while they go about their business. Now, at first glance here, it appears like James has gotten off track, that he's changed subject. He's talking about different things now because he was talking about trials and perseverance and now he's talking about wealth and rich people and poor people. Well, why? What's that mean? Well, many of the people that James was writing to, these scattered, persecuted Christians, were likely very poor, all right? But some were rich. Some had maintained their wealth, all right, and really were clinging to it more than they were their own faith. And so the thing about trials is this, trials don't discriminate, right? We all realize that it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, we all go through these trials. And so what James is trying to say is that if you're poor, all right, if you're poor, even in, in the sight of the world, if you're poor, you can boast in the fact that your circumstances can actually lead you to trust more in God. Or again, the world may say you are poor, that you're a nobody because of it, but if you are in Christ, you are in fact rich. You're rich in God. But there's a warning here too, and the warning is this, that if you're rich, be careful. The warning is just simply this, it applied then, it applies today, that life's trials have a way of reminding us that money and possessions will never solve your problems, all right? Money and possessions will never solve your problems. All of the stuff of life can't cover up the hurt and the pain. There is no amount of wealth that can protect you from trials in this world. And what we've got to do with that is this, that like the people hearing these words 2,000 years ago, What it really comes down to is that each one of us has to decide what's most important in this life. Like, what are you really going to put your faith in? Like, what what are you, you could say, like, what are you going to do with this one and only life you've been given? Because you can put your faith in any number of things. I mean, this applies to all of us. But at some point before you die, you need to ask yourself, what good will it do? And what will this matter to me when I die one day. I, I want to tell you as clear as I can, I mean, what's, what's most important in life is this. It's not what you acquire. It's not what you achieve for yourself in this world. There is no amount of money. There is no size of home that can ever compare to the importance of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is the 
only thing, the most important thing that matters. And the good news is this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the mess that you've made of your life, your doubts, your questions, your struggles, how many times you've walked away or whether this is your first time here with us this morning. Our God loves you and He made you and He created you and He loves you deeply. And get this, when it comes to our trials, when it comes to our struggles in this world, He knows the world is broken. He knows that this world is full of pain and trials and that's why He's provided a way through for us in Jesus Christ. See, eternity is not just something to be enjoyed one day. It's something to be enjoyed and experienced right now. When you're in Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility. We play a part in bringing heaven to earth today, all right, and the way things should be and the way that we live our lives and the way that we love others because Jesus is our hope and he is a prize, you know, that we have all hope for in this life and desire and he's everything that we need and he's our helper and he's a friend and he's the only way that you and I are going to make it through. He's the only way we're going to endure our trials and he's the only one, all right? He is the only one that really matters and we're reminded again basically of that one thing that we talked about just a few weeks back, the most important thing that we can do the last lesson in your notes is this, is abide in Jesus. The most important thing that you can do in your life is to keep abiding in Jesus, to keep trusting Jesus, to keep daily turning to Jesus, staying relationally connected to him. We don't have the strength on our own, all right, to survive in this world. That strength comes from abiding in Jesus Christ, and he is the one that is able, and he is the only real and lasting treasure that we could ever hope for or have in this world, and he doesn't want you to give up. He doesn't want you to give up. He wants you to keep going and keep trusting and he's encouraging us to persevere until the end. Verse 12, again, James writes, blessed is the one. Basically, here's the prize. Here's why it's worth it. Here's God's work in your life. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James, what he does here, and what his hearers would have been hearing is this, that he's reminding us that life is like a race, a marathon, if you would. And the day-to-day training, much like with the race, can be a real struggle and it can be painful, and it's difficult and hard. But what James is saying is the one who keeps trusting and the one who keeps persevering can look beyond the pain like the runner to the very end of the race and know the prize and know the reward. And James says, and we will receive a crown. And 2,000 years ago, athletes who won the race would have a laurel wreath placed on their head, and it was a symbol of the prize the prize received. And for Christians then, and for you and me today, the crown is a reminder that our reward is faith in Christ. It's salvation for right now, but it's the promise of eternal life in heaven with Jesus one day to come. Here's what it boils down to us for today. No matter what you're going through in your life right now, James says, I believe the Lord would say to us today, don't give up. Don't give in, don't cave. Your pain doesn't have to be wasted. And God can use this pain, as difficult as it may be to realize, God can use this pain in your life and he can bring good from it. And our hope and part of keeping our eyes on the end of the race is just this, that there is a day coming where there will be no more cancer. 
that there is a day coming where there will be no more divorce, no more abuse, no more bills, no more shootings, no more death, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more depression, and no more pain, as the Scriptures say, and no more tears, and we will be with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, you may be going through a trial today, but it doesn't have to be wasted. God can use it. He can bring good from it in your life and in mine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the promises of your word and the hope that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. And we just acknowledge today, Lord, that there are some difficult things in these words that, well, we've got to face each and every day. For some right now and this afternoon, there's pain, there's struggles, there are things that are coming up this week that will remind us of how hard life really is. But thank you, Father. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your sovereignty over all things. Thank you for the work that you're wanting to do in us and through us. Will you encourage our hearts today? Would you give us greater faith? For some here today, Lord, would you give them the hope, the energy, the desire to just keep going one more day, one more day of trusting you. Teach us to abide in your Son, Lord. And in abiding, I pray that we would be able to experience things like we never have before in our lives, that you would give us peace, that you would give us faith, and that you would help us to know your deep and amazing love for each of us. And let that be all we need. And we pray this in your name. Amen.